Mobile World Congress went off without a hitch this week, bringing 70,000 people to one of the biggest mobile shows of the year. And Cliff and I are going to break it all down for you. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we're taking a look at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, Spain. I was actually slated to go to MWC this year for the first time, but alas, the COVID thing isn't quite done enough for digital trends comfort, so remote coverage it became. And in hindsight... It's probably a good thing because of what I'm about to tell you in the news. But boots on the ground isn't as important these days as it has been in the past, so Cliff and I will backseat drive the conference from the comfort of our respective homes. Also, normally I have a tech yeah or some other segment in the middle here, but we're skipping that this week because, frankly... I ran out of time, and once again, I'll explain that in the news segment, which is coming up in just a moment. Plus, there was a ton of news this week, so we'll still have a decently long show, especially if I keep rambling on and on and on in the intro like this. I mean, seriously, what the hell, Adam? This is one of the longest intros you've read in a long time, so shouldn't we just get on with it? That's a good question, Adam. Well, thank you, Adam. You're very welcome, Adam. And by the way, you are so handsome. Hmm... What was I saying? Oh, right. Uh, It's time for the news of the week. We're going to start off the news with a little bit of personal slash professional news. My editor at Digital Trends, AJ Kumar, is leaving, and more importantly, he's left me with the keys to the car. So what that means is now you're listening to the interim section editor for the mobile section at Digital Trends. That's right, baby, as they say in the airplane movies. But it's his ship now. He's the top dog. The big man... Numero uno honcho, the head cheese. But it's his ship now, his command, he's in charge. Boss, head man, top dog, big cheese. So yeah, the buck stops here as of now. So now you may recall last year, not too far away from this time actually, I put the show on hiatus because I got a new job and I wanted to dedicate all my energy to it. That's not happening here. Probably. I think I have a pretty solid handle on what I'm going to be doing over there, so a break in the show won't be necessary, I think. Of course, I'm leaving the door open for a break, but I hope it won't be necessary, at least until I go on vacation this summer. Then we're taking a break. Or maybe both. I'm not going to lie. This new job is a very big deal, even if I am settled with an interim tag. And for the record, I would very much like to continue without the interim tag, bosses at Digital Trends, if you happen to be listening. So keep your fingers crossed for me. Anyway, this is all my way of saying I've got a lot more to do these days. I initially planned to work under AJ, my editor, for over a year and then steal his job. But as it turns out, he got a better offer just three months into my tenure. I'll take it. And of course, I wish AJ the best. Bon voyage. And thanks for giving me the keys to the castle. So let's now get to the news. AT&T shut down its 3G network this week. And you might be thinking to yourself... So, it's about time. Well, yeah, and you would have a point, but there's one unintended consequence that I'm not sure we all really thought through. 
cars. As it turns out, there are a lot and lot of cars out there, including Audis, Acuras, Bentleys, BMWs, and a whole bunch of others higher up in the alphabet that have a number of features tied to 3G. That can include things like firmware updates, infotainment systems, and navigation. Just imagine going out to your Bentley, to your Bentley, and not being able to navigate to the nearest Starbucks. Now, I don't know anything about cars, but I do know that if I bought a frickin' Bentley, I'd better be able to navigate to Starbucks or wherever rich people get their drinks. The way to fix this differs from car to car. Some, like General Motors, pushed out software updates to keep OnStar functional in its vehicles. Others will require hardware swaps. So it just goes to show, you may think it's neato that you own a connected car or other piece of tech that requires a cellular connection, but it's very likely going to die someday in the future. Maybe it's not going to be until 8G comes out, but someday it's likely to go away, and we can only hope that our Bentleys won't be adversely affected when that happens. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about Jack Sweeney, a 19-year-old who built bots to track the jets of rich and famous people? Elon Musk offered the kid $5,000 because he thought that that Twitter account was a security risk. But the kid's all like, no way, man, it's not a security risk at all. Now, you know, pay me. Well, Sweeney has turned his talents to another piece of low-hanging fruit, oligarchs, specifically Russian oligarchs. His new Twitter handle is RUOligarchJets, and it tracks the travel of those jets around the world. So, now, here's a question. Now that Sweeney has turned his sights on Russian oligarchs, it makes you question his motives for the others. See, some of you may have rubbed your hands together and with an evil laugh and thought, <laughs> Russian oligarchs fleeing the masses of Twitter. But then what does that say about Elon Jet and Bill Gates Jet and the others? I have to think that there's a different motive for the oligarch jets than there are for the Elon Jet account, but what is that? I'm not really sure. We'd have to ask him. My guess is his attempt to get Elon to pay him $50,000 failed, so maybe he's trying other rich targets? It's the best working theory I have at the moment, and maybe it'll work out for him. So Russian oligarchs, start paying up. So while we're on the topic of Ukraine, we've got a few more stories to share because of course we do. Last week, Ukraine's Vice Prime Minister Mikhailo Fedorov, I don't know how, if that's how you pronounce his name, but that's what I'm going with, tweeted to Musk asking him to fire up Starlink satellites in the Ukraine to help alleviate internet issues that they're having over there because apparently tanks and fiber optic cables do not mix. I get that. So Elon fired up service in Ukraine and sent over some satellite base stations, accomplishing the same goal in the Ukraine as he's accomplishing here in the United States, providing broadband internet to people who don't have it due to problems that shouldn't exist in the first place. It turns out a Ukrainian engineer already had a Starlink dish and an account, having bought them on eBay. Plus, despite the fact that Ukraine wasn't activated yet, the engineer kept his surface on while he tried to reverse engineer the dish. Once he got word that the service was up and running he stuck his dish out the window and just like that he was up and running honestly that's kind of cool i mean when you really think about it it's true that Starlink shouldn't be necessary in the first place but the fact that with a wave of a magic wand musk can get the internet back up and running just like that is pretty neat and kudos to elon for getting it back 
Moving on to more Ukraine stories, we talked last week about how Google Maps inadvertently showed the position of Russian troop movements by indicating traffic jams. Well, this week Google turned off traffic jam functionality due to fears that fleeing civilians could cause traffic jams and, at the risk of being indelicate, help the Russians decide where to shoot them. So the same technology that was laughable last week is suddenly very serious. If fleeing people cause traffic jams, Russians could figure out where to go to to capture or kill the most people, and Google didn't really want to be a part of that, so it just left the surface up just long enough for us to all laugh at Russian tanks, and then pulled it before the stories got much more tragic. That's all I'm going to say here, except that I'm going to stay out of the Ukraine conflict as much as possible, and I'm trying like hell not to spike the ball when things like the Google Maps thing happened last week. The fact of the matter is, there are hundreds of thousands of people that are now suffering on both sides, and that's not good for anyone. I honestly hope that this is resolved quickly and with a minimal additional loss of life. Well, okay, the fact that Ukrainian farmers are stealing Russian tanks is kind of hilarious, but that's all the ball spiking that I plan to do here. And continuing on the Russian-Ukraine bandwagon, Apple halted all shipments of all products to Russia in response to the war. And while one could make the argument that this may have been due to safety concerns, this does feel somewhat punitive as well. Like, oh, Russia, you want to go in and take what is not yours? Well, we take away your fancy gadgets, and how are you liking that? Well, according to one moron on Twitter, he likes it just fine, and he demonstrated such by taking a ball-peen hammer to his iPad. You know, the iPad that he had already presumably paid for. Nothing says, I don't like what the company is doing, quite like giving that company money and then having nothing to show for it. Didn't think that one through, did ya? Anyway, Apple is just the latest in a long line of tech companies that are levying sanctions against Mother Russia. BlackBerry ceased all operations that it was conducting in Russia. That's right, all three phones. Apple Pay and Google Pay were also turned off in Russia. If only Meta would cut off access to the metaverse, that could be a trifecta of things that Russians don't give a crap about all getting cut off. Obviously, Ukraine is a developing story, so I'll continue to follow it to see where it ultimately ends up. At this rate, Russians will be using abacuses and carrier pigeons by May. Space junk is a huge problem orbiting our world at about 15,700 miles per hour or 25,265 kilometers per hour for those of you who use measurements that make sense. Now, there's a new contender emerging about who can save us from our space junk, Steve Wozniak. He's created a new startup called Privateer whose mission it is to get better track of the junk that is up there and use that data to prevent collisions. The data could be used by satellite operators to put their satellites out of harm's way, but this is just the start. Eventually, Privateer wants to launch sensors piggybacked on other satellites that would be sensitive enough to pick up garbage that is less than 10 centimeters long. It might even launch its own satellites, which would be adding to the problem, sure, but if it ultimately solves this problem, even better. The expert at the heart of this is Morabad Ja, who has spent most of his academic career studying orbital mechanics and telling anyone who will listen about the major problem we have up there right now. Now he's moving into the private sector because the pay is better, so much better that he can actually do something about it. And to that end, good luck, Steve Wozniak and Privateer. 
The Polestar 1 is a pretty slick looking luxury electronic vehicle that's also very expensive. Well, Polestar just released videos of the Polestar O2 concept vehicle, which takes most of its design cues from the Polestar Precept, also a concept vehicle by the way, and adds in a freaking drone. That's right, when you press a button, a drone deploys out of the back of the car, presumably to follow the car and video it? I guess? Now the idea here is very clearly CGI, which is fine. I'm just not sure where the idea of embedding a drone came from, though I suspect John Rettinger's Lucid video might have had something to do with it. Anyway, so is this ridiculous? Yes. Is this fake as hell? Also yes. Then just why? And I have to ask you, are you asking Polestar why they made the video in the first place, or me why I'm reporting on it? Both are valid questions, and both answers are frankly... Why not? It's silly and a little stupid. No one will ever embed a drone into a car just so it can fly around. Wait, check that. No one except possibly James Bond or some high-tech futuristic police movie, something like that, will ever embed a drone into a car because it's silly and it has no purpose. But it's fun, damn it. And that's why I like it. Apple is hitting the announcement train this week with its spring event next week called Peak Performance, but Peak is spelled P-E-E-K as opposed to P-E-A-K. This has caused all the Apple nerds to huddle up and figure out what they're going to be peaking at. The obvious conclusion here is Apple's oft-rumored but never surfaced VR goggles, which, eh, I'm not so sure. Here's the thing. Meta, the crappy company run by terrible people, pretty much owns the metaverse now, such as it is. And certainly, since Meta's name change and announcement of the metaverse, companies have been all aflutter about the metaverse. Trust me, take a look at 95% of the archived MWC emails in my inbox and you'll know what I'm talking about. The thing is... No one's really doing the metaverse yet, except for Meta. So on the one hand, if Apple wants to get its customers into the metaverse, the clock is ticking to get some kind of hardware and software ecosystem out there. But the clock isn't ticking that loudly yet. Metaverse is still super niche, but you don't want to sleep on that for too long. So while I have no doubt that Meta's announcement of the name change slash Metaverse last fall probably accelerated Apple's plans a little bit, I don't think Apple feels any real pressure to ship hardware today. It probably sees each event that it holds, which is about four per year, as a milestone, like get XY ready by then, and if Meta makes a move, we can move too. So far, Meta hasn't made any kind of significant progress into actually building or, more importantly, populating the metaverse, so I don't think Apple is in any hurry just yet. But I'd be willing to bet the team that's working on the stuff is probably sweating a lot more these days. The Fitbit Ionic is one of Fitbit's more smartwatch-looking fitness trackers, and the company started receiving reports of people getting burned by their smartwatches. In total, over 115 Fitbit owners reported getting burned by their watches, and the cause, to no one's surprise, seems to be overheating batteries. And having an electronic device that is strapped to your wrist overheating really, really sucks. Some have reported up to third-degree burns, and yeah, I can see that, because first you're like, 
why is my wrist so hot? And then it gets worse and you realize what's up and you go on full panic mode, which can be pretty detrimental to your fine motor skills. All around, an overheating watch forces you to go against a number of different instincts in order to get the thing off. Anyway, Google is issuing a voluntary recall offering people their full purchase price back to them if they return the watches, which is nice. And if you're listening to this and you have a Fitbit Ionic, please do yourself a favor and push the eject button on this one. You don't want to risk getting burned like that. Believe me when I tell you, there are a lot of fish in the smartwatch sea, especially at the $300 price point. So you have options. So go ahead and send back the Ionic and find a new friend. And isn't it nice? when we all have new friends. And finally, here's another feel-good story about a company doing things right by their customers. Rivian made quite an impression this past summer with their electric trucks, with the gorgeous interior and a sort of utility tunnel that can have basically a complete kitchen with a stove and a sink built into the body of the truck. YouTubers were losing their minds over this truck, which admittedly could cost up to $85,000, but it's a luxury vehicle, so you pay for that privilege. Well, earlier this week, Rivian adjusted its prices north by about ten to 20000 more dollars, which is fine. I get it. They're a startup, so cost overruns are common. But then Rivian informed its pre-order customers that their prices increased, too, and just what?! The masses flooded to Twitter and Reddit, telling the world that this was BS, and rightly so, and telling people that they were canceling their pre-orders, again, rightly so. But Rivian quickly walked back and released a statement saying that it would not only honor the original prices for those who had put in a pre-order, but it would also reinstate pre-orders for those who had canceled them because of the price shift. In other words... Rivian made the uncharacteristic for a big company move of saying, you're right, our bad, we don't know what we were thinking, so here, you can have all your stuff back. And it's the right move, and so often companies are all like, I don't care, no, I, I, I just don't care, no, I just, uh, I just don't care. So it's nice to see a big company do right by its customers, and for that, Rivian gets my respect. No, I'm not ordering one of their $80,000 trucks because I'm not insane, but still, they get my respect. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of the Dowd podcast. Our top story for this week is the Mobile World Congress show that just wrapped up in Barcelona, Spain. And with me to talk about the biggest mobile trade show on the planet is Clifton M. Thomas. Good morning, Cliff. Good morning, pardon me. Wishing I was in Barcelona. Sorry, Barcelona. Barcelona. Enjoying yeah, some, I mean, some, some tapas or some... Uh, I agree with that. However, a bigger part of me thinks that we I, I dodged a bullet by not going to Barcelona because if I had gone to Barcelona, I would have had to go to Barcelona and learn how to be a section editor while in Barcelona. So that would have been a little tricky. I have to I have to think. I believe the so. word is challenging. Yeah, little uh, little little on the challenging side. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so we are not in Barcelona, but we did watch it from afar, and we have some uh, stories that we've been collecting. You know, uh, okay. So 
MWC is one of the biggest mobile shows of the of the world, and, and just kind of scrolling through the uh, the stories that we picked for uh, for today, I'm not really sure we're going to be talking about a whole lot of phones. But um, anyway, no, uh, your picks so anyway, yeah, I know. So I wanted to start off um, by I mean, this is kind of mobile related. Lenovo announced its first. ARM-based ThinkPad, and the main reason I wanted to talk about this was when we were doing the review of the Lenovo Duet just a couple, like a week ago or so, I was trying to remember the name of the processor because, you know, I knew like there was, it was a Snapdragon and had like a a string of numbers after it, but I knew there was an abbreviation for it that I couldn't quite remember what it was, and so this Lenovo, this is a ThinkPad laptop, this is an official ThinkPad laptop, and it's the first one with an ARM-based processor. And it's running Qualcomm Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3 right. processor, which I now remember. The The name I was trying to remember was the Snapdragon 7C or 7CX or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 7C Gen 2, I believe. Exactly. So that's what I was mm-hmm. trying to remember. That's really the main reason I brought up the story. It's also interesting that ThinkPad is diving into the ARM space uh, because, you know, that, I mean, the, the theoretical benefit you get from that is extremely long ba- uh, battery life with still a decent amount of power. Um, Lenovo is saying that the Snapdragon 8 CX Gen 3 should be about the equivalent of a an Intel Core i5, which is not an insignificant amount of power. No, I, I remember reading it was going to be up to 28 hour, uh, hours of battery life. Yeah, which is which just... Is insane goofy as hell i mean obviously we only have lenovo's word for that and because we i don't think there's any official reviews out because the thing just launched um will we get a chance to review it i don't know we'll have to see i've already called dibs on it so oh have you okay (laughs) that means nothing but i just thought i would you know try to act like i was in elementary school and and, right no no you know what i think what i like just very quickly about ARM-based processors in laptops or foldables, or I'm sorry, not foldables, but but uh, two-in-ones, uh, is that the uh, standby battery life? That's uh, because well, I, Intel has gotten better about uh, you know battery drain while you have it just sitting on a shelf somewhere. There is yeah. still, I think, a, a market percentage difference. Like I, I with the uh, the Samsung book go the Samsung book go that i have i think that's what it is or samsung laptop go whatever it is but uh, yeah it's a windows laptop but it is based on that same 7c gen 2 processor and i mean i can i can leave it sitting there for a week or two weeks and come back and it's within like 10 percentage points of its original yeah. battery life it's crazy so. Yeah, that's legit. And so the the ThinkPad 13s is is the name of the product. It's going to be mm. eleven. It's going to be eleven hundred dollars basically, and it's looking to launch sometime in May, which is uh, you know not too far away. And it supports forty five watt charging. It looks like so that's that's awesome. Hmm. I mean, really, um, really, this is. Um, oh no, you know what? I'm sorry. I was uh, I was reading about an Intel. <laughs> I, 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 the 45 watt thing was was one of the Intel um, ThinkBooks. Sorry, that was my bad. Uh, but yeah, so like I I don't is this I couldn't tell from the pictures is this a two in one because it looks like it's not. It doesn't and look I don't like see, it was. I don't see two in one like anywhere in the article description. So, but you're, you the you know, the point still stands that it's a uh, that it's a um, 
laptop that will hold a charge for quite some time. Right, so. and and it it does look like uh, it's pretty thin. I would say that uh, mm-hmm. you know, if if I, I would say this is definitely something that they're probably going to market towards uh, road warriors. You know, someone who needs something they yeah. can throw in their bag, almost like a tablet. And yeah. I do like the industrial design of it. I mean, it definitely has that you know sort of uh, form before, fu- or I'm sorry, function before form, like. You yeah, know, like almost like a mil spec looking uh, laptop with the sort of uh, squared off corners, but just the little tiny round rounded corners on the sides is very very industrial looking. In a way, like what would you call it? like industrial chic? So I, yeah, it looks like a nice it looks like a nice piece of kit. I'd say it looks very ThinkPaddy. I mean, it looks very similar to you know a lot of the ThinkPads that we've already right. te- uh, checked out, including the top-firing dual speakers, which are nice, the fingerprint sensor in the power button, which is also nice. There's only two um, USB-C ports for uh, in terms of I/O. There's a headphone jack on the other side, so but so you're a little bit little bit limited um, in that capacity. But you know what? I actually just picked up. A new, a future tech, yeah, item. Not today, not this week, um, but it's a, it's a. Let's just do a little tech, yeah, plug right now. It's a Satachi um, dongle, which is kind of cool because it, you can install your own hard drive oh, SSD, SSD in into cool. it, and I got a 500 gigabyte um, SSD. Um, so, I mean, yeah, granted, it's like an extra 70 bucks, but but you can install your own SSD into it. So not only are you getting, um, let's see, we've got a USB-C, two USB-As, and an HDMI out, but you're also getting the extra storage. That yeah, I, I like that it's a, it looks like it's an M.2 uh, SSD, too, so those are relatively inexpensive for compared to some of the weirder stuff that you can find out there. Like, I, I think you can get a 512 gigabyte one for like 200 bucks yeah well i mean this one was this one was 512 gigabytes uh sandisk or crucial i don't remember Mm. but it was only like 70 bucks 70 wow they've really come down in price oh yeah yeah so let me just look here real quick yeah it's western digital that's it okay so western digital uh um 500 500 gigabytes and yeah it was like 70 bucks so Anyway, links for those down below, so clicky-clicky and you'll support the show. But uh, what do you got over at... What what was blowing your skirt up over at MWC over there? Well, oh, well, you, over you, there. You snaked the uh, Lenovo one from me, so I, I, had, did. I had to quickly I uh, to shift into something else. Uh, so the ones that I picked are actually like very mobile-related. I, I think... Uh, this is definitely something that affects more of the rest of the world than, than uh, devices you'll see in the United States. But okay. uh, MediaTek announced uh, their follow their follow up to the Dimensity Nine Thousand, which was their the Dimensity Nine Thousand being their in terms of like uh, parallel to Qualcomm, their competitor to the Snapdragon Eight Gen One in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of uh, processing power. Uh, so they introduced at Mobile World Congress when you detected the the Dimensity 8000 and 8100. First of all, mm-hmm. Dimensity denotes it's going to be a 5G um, system on a chip, you know, okay. as far as the radio support. Um, and I'm not going to go through the, you know, the. I, I guess I can. And let's see. Yeah, go for They've it. They've got... Uh, says the two 8,000 chips. I'm reading from GSM Arena, by the way. Thank you, GSM yep. Arena. Four Cortex 870A78 big CPU cores and four A55 little ones. So I believe that's one more 
uh, Cortex A78 than the um, I'm trying to remember their 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 previous Dimensity ones. What as far as the but anyway, then their previous Dimensity 5G chips. Okay. And, and I think they're supposed to be comparable, or at least the 8100 is, which is the more powerful of the two, uh, comparable to like a Snapdragon 888. Mm. Uh, and then I'm sure the 8000 is you know a, l- a little farther down, but they are uh, both produced just like the 9000 on the uh, five nanometer process that MediaTek has, which is pretty awesome. That means they should be pretty efficient. Uh, both to, mm-hmm. to produce and also as far as like a battery life is concerned, um, they support 168 hertz refresh rates on an FHD uh, FHD plus resolution, which is you know what you're going to find on uh, a higher end uh, smartphone, you know like a like a flagship level. Of, yeah. Uh, so the, so the point of this, why it's why I'm excited about that, and I should actually correct myself. The Dimensity 9000 is on a four nanometer process, whereas these two are five nanometer. Um, but the previous ones were on a six nanometer. So MediaTek, uh, you know, I think I don't want to say they were they were the butt of jokes. But if you in the past, if you got a MediaTek based um, phone, you weren't number one thinking that it'd get a lot of uh, software updates, and two, you knew it was going to be a lower end phone. Not that there's anything to say there's there's something wrong with a lower end phone. They they serve their place. But now MediaTek is really starting to uh, put the heat on uh, Qualcomm. And I guess you could say, uh, you know, like even Samsung and and uh, uh, Huawei uh, with their Kirin stuff, uh, in yeah. terms of being able to produce comparable um, performance at what what will be a lesser price. So that to me, this is going to be pretty cool because I think you'll probably see these in some gaming phones, you know, that maybe come in and, at, a, at a lower than flagship price. Yeah. Um, and maybe we'll see them in, in something, probably more in, in, in Chinese market devices or Asian market devices, uh, you know, from something like a Xiaomi or uh, maybe a Realme. I don't know how much the, the uh, BBK has used um, MediaTek process, processors in the past, but I think we're seeing more of those now. So that's yeah. that's a pretty big deal. And, and I would love to get my hands on something based on like the 9000 or the 8100 or 8000 just uh just, just to, to see, see what, it, it what it's actually yeah. like in reality. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's um, little or small, but big news at the same time. I agree, and and you know it's it's I'd say it's significant news in so far as it's you know making sure that Exynos and Qualcomm and Kirin are all kind of you know staying honest, you know, right, because, right, exactly. Well, and especially Qualcomm. Qualcomm has such a vice grip on you know especially the flagship market it's good to see that there's a competitor out there that could potentially start to unseat qualcomm a little bit and actually if you it depending on who you listen to either qualcomm or mediatek is leading the united states in phone sales like there's two different i think they both have different like surveys that are you know kind of contradicting each other but Regardless, it, it's fair to say that Qualcomm and MediaTek are within percentage points of each other in terms of the lead for, um, you know, in the U.S. market, which, you know, granted is not a worldwide market. So I understand that there is more than just the United States out there. I think there's like a couple of countries somewhere else, right? Anyway, um, I'm sorry. I was doing so a very, good, working I was doing a typical American America um, um, attitude there, which of <laughs> course is, is absurd. But anyway, so like, no, I mean, in, but still the United States. 
States is still a significant market for the smartphone market. So if MediaTek is starting to make headway here, that is not an insignificant thing. So and, uh, and just yeah. to, just to finish up on this, I will say this is yeah. I guess this makes a lot of sense. Uh, GSM Arena goes on to say that uh, the eight thousand or eighty one hundred chipset will be on the market in the first quarter of 2022 so basically expect a lot of launches in march coming from in quotes some of the world's biggest smartphone brands so yeah that's exciting it is it is so and and i agree i would like to see like i think the last thing that i used with a mediatek processor was probably i don't think it was the duet i think it was actually the gaming phone from blue the hmm. g the with chad the g90 pro in it um so i'm kind of thinking have i used anything since then i don't remember what the timeline was but it's been a while since i've used a a, a device powered by maybe a maybe to, something from uh, from moto like in the in their g series possibly yeah so anyway we can uh we can go ahead and move on because we've got like four more stories here that we need to cover and we right. only have like 20 minutes to do it <laughs> so uh, let's see. So my next pick, and I think this can actually be kind of a shorty, but Oppo announces 240 watt charging, which can take a, I believe it was a 4,500 milliamp hour battery from zero to full in 10 minutes. That is insane. And like I, this week actually saw a number of phones launch with like uh, what was it, 120 watt charge. Right. So and um, OnePlus announced that there will be a OnePlus product that comes out in Q2 of this year with 120 um, watts of power. Did they say 240? I don't remember exactly. Um, I, I, I think I think it was 120 watts, which because I think they said a 4500 milliamp hour battery will go from zero to full in 15 minutes. So. But just 240 watts of charging, and that is just insane. And actually, I mean, that's also this 240 watt charging is also coming from OnePlus's. What do you what do you call that uh, brother? Because OnePlus is a sub brand of Oppo, so is it it's, their what are this, their is this senior like brand? Super Vuk Extreme now? Like, yeah. what are they, what it's are they it's it's Super Vuk technology is okay. what is what they're calling it, but. Um, and they also said, uh, and 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 I should say that you know, in a you know, obviously Oppo is not the only one working on stuff like this. Xiaomi had a new charger that came out uh, that was like a 200 watt charger that said it, it retains its uh, it retains its battery capacity um, by 80 percent after 1600 charge cycles. Oh, wow. So if you're concerned about battery fatigue here, then um, um, don't be because like 1600 I did the math it's actually like two years and just over two months if you charge your phone twice a day hmm. and let's just and 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 I wrote this on digital trends as a PSA don't charge your phone that much go out and enjoy the world outside it's nice out there trust me uh, <laughs> something I was thinking about yeah. because you see these huge uh numbers from mostly from um, Asian manufacturers specific uh, really more Chinese and, and Indian manufacturers right mm-hmm. I, I I was just thinking ha- have we seen anything like that from like um, Apple or from Samsung you know the, the two the, the two by far largest um, 
or Moto or LG right, right. or anybody like that. No, um, I want to say the Moto X, the Moto Edge Plus that just came out last year or last year, last week. Uh, I want to say that was 30 watt charging at right. the most. Samsung, just... the Galaxy Ultra tops out at 45 watts of charging. Apple, I want to say tops out at around 20 watts, give or take. That could be wrong. That yeah, actually I think that's around that though. I, I just yeah. I think it's so interesting that two companies are you know so conservative with this kind of technology and at least with samsung some of that could have to do with uh you know the, the <laughs> you think a certain phone <laughs> that was released a few years that ago. will remain nameless right <laughs> note seven <clears throat> but um but it is like so i just you kind of wonder like who's right and who's wrong in, in terms of their approach i don't know well, I mean, spoiler alert, there may be an op-ed coming out to Digital Trends about that very subject. Yeah. <laughs> so just just FYI, I think what's bugging me about the whole thing, well, actually, what's not bugging me absolutely about this is the brands that are working on this type of charging technology, the OnePlus. And we actually t- touched on this when we recorded Doubting Thomas, which will come out actually after this episode. But, you know, the brands that are working on this stuff, the OnePluses, the Realmes, the the oppos they're all shipping chargers in the box when they have right. a baller charger that can get your phone up to 10 100 percent in 10 minutes they're sending you that charger whereas with samsung and apple and whatnot they're more environmentally focused <clears throat> right um <laughs> So, so they're they're not sh- shipping chargers at all, and the problem is, is, you know, the Samsung Galaxy Ultra can handle for up to forty five watts of charging, but Samsung isn't shipping you the chargers that can allow for that. So, right, right. you know, you end up having to go out and buy either Samsung's charger or Anchor or something like that. But to- even. But even the Samsung that, charger is... that is is their higher watt charger for the new S line uh, is only forty five watts. So uh, even with when they do offer something, it's just it's not nearly in that same scope. But I definitely get right. the point that you're making there for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, meanwhile, the the uh, the other companies that are working on super fast charging are like, screw the environment. We want to get our phones going. <laughs> uh, I mean, which is you know, I. I I I have to kind of wonder, like, I I totally get where Apple and Samsung are coming from when when they say, you know, we don't want to have to charge a ship charging bricks because, you know, everybody has charging bricks laying around. Totally get that. But, you know, at the same time, why are you sending cables then? Because if people have charging bricks, chances are they have cables. But that's fine. I won't won't get into the uh, nuts and bolts of that. I don't know. Yeah, I won't I won't get into the nuts and bolts of that, but like if if environment was truly a concern without diminishing the customer experience and I've been saying this for years, ship the phone with a coupon for a free charger. Right. Right. You know, if you want the free charger, we'll give you the free charger. You can even be make a little bit of a dick move and make people go to a store to buy a charger as opposed to like shipping the charger because shipping is, you know, more cardboard, more expensive, blah blah blah. We want to be environmentally friendly, so please drive to San Francisco to our physical location where you can pick up your free charger. Like that would be I think a little bit more acceptable than just not shipping a charger at all and saying environment. 
bottom line here is, you know, this this charging tech is going a little bit goo goo, and I'm kind of into it. I, I'm kind of feeling it. I kind of like it, um, just because like battery tech is in need of a jump start because battery tech has remained fairly stagnant for the last several years, and the only thing that we've really gotten out of battery tech was faster charging, which is good. It's it's a good thing to have, and like I can think of. Two occasions, like only two occasions, unfortunately, in the past year and a half where I've had to say, oh, my God, I'm going out and I forgot to charge my phone. I'm going to plug it in for 10 minutes and get a 50 percent charge. Like that's that's a not insignificant use case, but it's also like twice in the past 18 months that I've actually had to do it. It is interesting. And you kind of just made this point. But that is what I was thinking about. It's like because battery technology has been so stagnant the only thing we're really they're just throwing all their all their uh i guess uh development resources and making faster chargers and then you know uh, the other side of it is i think you're you know over the last like um two or three years you've seen just larger and larger batteries become the standard rather than yeah what people are are are, are pining for maybe that you know that combination of the two is, is the temporary solution until you know that that new battery tech hopefully comes around that that kind of solves all, all the issues that it's kind of funny um when you think about it because like all these new processors going back to probably the snapdragon 835 maybe have all been saying you know it's built on this process so it's much more power efficient and it's built on this process so it's much more power efficient but then at the same time like in parallel our batteries have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger Bigger and and yet and bigger and yet the we still get the same all day battery life air quotes right so it's like is it more power efficient? Because it doesn't really seem like it is. It just seems like you're cramming in larger batteries to make That's right. up for it. And then on top of that, you <laughs> see, um, you know, certain companies more than others also throttling like crazy. So yeah. if you benchmark, you know, two different phones um, with the same processor from you know two different manufacturers, you know, it's like putting the same engine. I mean, this is this is really simplifying it, but saying putting you know yeah. the same engine in two different cars. And and uh, but the choices that the manufacturer makes otherwise see a difference in horsepower and, and yeah gas mileage and things like that be, you know yeah so and I guess it's just kind of a pick your poison uh, you know or mm-hmm. choices that you make kind of decision there but yeah throttling I'm I'm because I'm not a gamer it doesn't really affect me um, and we are seeing some neat stuff like uh, the high re- refresh rate screens but also with the LPT is it LPT one. Uh, screen technology that that allows them to uh throttle the, the refresh rate down to oh, much lower yeah, yeah, to preserve yeah. if it's, I know it's LPT something like I that. I don't anyway. I don't know the name of it but I know <laughs> what you're talking about. But yeah, no it's and that's legit. It just it seems like, you know, for it, it, I guess basically what the bottom line is is the processor is not the only thing that's going right. to be sucking up your battery. So and, um I just I honestly kind of wish that they would stop talking about how much more power efficient these processors were because it doesn't seem like it in the final right, product. Right. Especially you know? because some I mean these processors are cap- capable of like I think some of them are capable of over 3 gigahertz. I mean we're getting to into like you know, desktop processor levels of, of clock speeds. Now it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of high refresh rates on screens, I'm just going to talk about uh, my next pick. 
So Xiaomi, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I should say, Xiaomi owned gaming phone brand Poco introduced their newest entry into that arena, the X4 Pro 5G, which has a 120 hertz AMOLED display and a 108 megapixel camera, and it's debuting at uh, 299 euros, or about I would say about 350 bucks US. Yeah, right but, now. Yeah. Well, well. First of all, this will never see U.S. shores. Right, but even right. if it did, typically what they do is they take away the euro and they put in the dollar sign. Right, right. It's exactly. Usually exactly. going to be the same. But if, it's usually going to end up being about the same price. But since you have to import it, yeah, you have to factor in that exchange rate. Exactly. <laughs> Plus whatever the the uh, usually if you're importing it, then a place that's willing to ship here will also. Or a little you could buy a... it from Bar- while you're in Barcelona. Yeah, except, that's true. Except I didn't go. Anyway. So, so Poco says this is going to be a flagship-level experience um, mm-hmm. at a price that, ooh, as you can see, is, is, is pretty delicious. Um, the entry-level one comes with 6 gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigabytes of uh, internal storage. Not expandable, I don't believe, by the way. With the mm. higher-end one coming in at uh, 8 gigabytes of RAM and 256 gigabytes of storage. As an aside, I am so glad to see that uh, for a lot of manufacturers that it looks like 128 gigabytes of storage is kind of like the new baseline. Remember, like, and this wasn't even that long ago that Apple was still shipping 16 gigabytes. 64 gigabytes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, no, <laughs> or you're Or 64 you're gigabyte, right. right? Or in, like, iPads, just this, not this generation, but the last generation, they shipped a 32 gigabytes base. I'm just like, no. Especially no. for how much they cost, you know, a premium compared to the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what's awesome about the going back to the Poco X4 Pro yeah. 5G just ro- just rolls off the tongue. Um, so it's a 6.67 AMOLED dot display. I'm guessing that's I'm not sure what that means because it's AMOLED, but it's a dot display. I don't know if that's like quantum dot technology, which usually that's on LCDs. But just sort of anyway. Yeah, it's an AMOLED yeah. screen with a high refresh rate, 120 right. hertz refresh rate, and 360 hertz of sampling rate. Which should be very responsive and high resolution too, FHD plus. Um, mm-hmm. It does have 100 oh, meg, yeah. uh, like I said, 108 megapixel primary sensor, an 8 megapixel ultra wide lens, and the sticker camera, a 2 megapixel micro camera, um, and a 16 megabyte megabyte uh, selfie camera. Which megapixel? I mean, but yes, right, right, megapixel. Did I say megabyte? Ugh. You did. So many megas, so little time. I know. Ah, uh, but gotta get. Get I those wouldn't megapixels. expect all those megapixels. Megapixels sounds delicious. Yep. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect the 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 Poco series just out of the box to have have a great camera experience. But Xiaomi is 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 pretty good with the with their software tuning. So I I could be wrong about that. And I yeah. and I do like. Did you have a chance to see the the actual images of this? Is actually what what made me want to talk about this. I think the hard the hardware design, while being you know kind of iPhone-esque, not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, looks really good. Very attractive phone and some attractive colors. I was actually thinking this kind of smacked of Xiaomi's latest phones, which were, the names escape me, or I should say it's a Xiaomi phone, so the numbers escape me. <laughs> but um, but yeah, having that uh, that camera bump going across the entire back, wasn't that the... Yes. Ul- I think it was like the Ultra version of, well, the tw- of it's Xiaomi's the, latest The, the 12 series, and... I think yeah, even, yeah, I yeah. think even like the you know the 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 me, the red the Redmi uh, Note series the newest from them actually uh, sort that of apes that I'm design 
Right. And I think actually, if you look at some of the, their competitors, they, a lot of them are doing this where they have the, the camera housing, you know, which is still to one side, but you have that sort of that bump, that uh, module that goes all the way over to the, the way left across. and sort of, it balances it visually, it, which, it, which is not a bad thing. It does, but I'm also like looking at these renders and it looks like the main camera sensor actually protrudes out a little bit from right. that camera bump. Kind so like it's probably still going to have that rocking issue. Right, so. right. I don't know what Sam, what Xiaomi is thinking there, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really unique design though, and it actually comes in some pretty fun colors it too. It does, and I and I like I, I'm a big fan of of uh, Sony's and in Apple's industrial design with this sort of mm-hmm. slab sides uh, with the the high radius corners. It's just to me, I feel like slab sided phones, and I I think um, you know I'm not being the minority here because some people feel like it digs into their palms, but I like that because I feel like uh, it makes it easier yeah. to hold versus the, the some of the phones that have you know something that's a little more rounded off um all right we need to blast through the last two stories here because we're you know we're coming up on time right and i need to hop over to twitch and record a script over there so um so let's get through these last two stories here um tcl has some cool new foldable concept phones TCL showed off their fold and roll concept, which is kind of like a Galaxy Fold, but then the ex- the end of the phone kind of extends out to give you a much better tablet aspect ratio. And they've also got this UltraFlex phone, which is a 360-degree folding screen, which basically means you can go from a Samsung Galaxy Fold all the way around into like a, a, a Huawei... Uh, what was there? The X Huawei Mate X that had the outside screens. Yes. Yeah. So basically, Ro- you can do that. How, that other company from China, which was actually, I think, the first company to launch a uh, a foldable device. Oh, the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Right. Um, was, uh, also had that same form factor. We interviewed which, them and for it just, the Android Authority did podcast. You? FlexPi, FlexPi, FlexPi. Right. They. Yeah. <laughs> I think Rolly was like the 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 product name, but yeah, Royal. just Royal Royal. Okay, but uh, mm-hmm. but uh, just seems like such a bad idea. Like like cool concept, bad idea in terms of like what is already kind of a an easy phone yeah. or a screen to scratch. So and, it's and yeah, it's it's not terrible. I I kind of I kind of dig it, and then I think I want to say I thought they had a third one that um, that they were showing off, but. Anyway, I'm not seeing it in this particular story here. Now, um, Andy Zahn, who wrote this particular feature, also picked up the ball and ran with another feature that I wanted to write, but I didn't have time to write, uh, which is it is basically shit or get off the pot time for... um, for TCL to launch a foldable. Yes. Like, I get it. I get where TCL's coming from. I had the interview where he talked about why they haven't launched foldables. And by the way, the other the other foldable that they had was the Chicago concept. Hmm. Um, that, w- that was like the flip. Um, I get it. They want to bring the price down, and they want carrier um, help with pushing these phones. I understand that, but... I just, I, I really think that it's time for, if that's the case, fine. If you want to wait for that, fine. Stop showing off what you have already. 
Yeah, stop it's... bragging like, oh, we've got all these different designs. And like, look, TC, I get it. Like, you wanna you wanna make sure that people are still keeping your name in the conversation for foldables, so that when you do ultimately launch, but it's it is it is time to put up or shut up. Honestly, when in the in the realm of foldables, if you want to show us the next foldable phone that I want to see from TCL is at its launch. Right, exactly. I think so, I said as much to you when when you and I in, in our Slack chat were just talking about... Yeah. Uh, I think I said something to the effect of Xiaomi... Or, I'm sorry, TCL shows off a bunch of uh, really cool foldable concepts and then says, here, here's a bunch of value phones for you to actually right? buy. It's so frustrating. So, uh, all right. So, you know, one of the hardest parts about making a, a foldable concept work is in the software. Speaking of software, OnePlus walked back its unified OS plans, uh, which means that for now at least, Oxygen OS is here to stay. Now, OnePlus is still working off a unified code base with ColorOS and Oxygen OS. However, those two products are going to remain distinctly different for 2022, and I will let you take it from here, Cliff. So, I'm happy to see that uh, Oxygen OS is going to remain as a product and that, you know, they, they can combine efficiencies by, um, by having unified code base. It makes a lot of sense as a concept. Mm-hmm. The thing that actually makes me sad, just, just, and this actually goes back a few years with OnePlus, is that, you know, when they originally, when they got, when they got rid of um, Cyanogen OS as their... Um, Build of choice for oh, the one plus right. one, about that. right? And and they, <laughs> but what they did was they actually brought in a whole bunch of of talent uh, that had been working on other um, skins or not skins. I'm sorry, that's that the other um, third party versions of Android that you could install on your device and brought them all under one roof. I think right. both both for um, what they had a version for the the asian more for china and then one for uh western markets and then eventually they combine those but they, they've let go of so much talent i just what i'm what i'm what i'm hoping is that because i think they got rid of a lot of their team when they decided that they, that they were going to go with just one unified os recently in the last like six months i could be wrong about that mm, but it just I seems don't, i don't recall that yeah okay but uh but, I, I mean it's possible I, I just don't recall it off I, i'm just hoping that it's not um it's not just on the face branded, just branded Oxygen OS, and that we don't see the the really. I'm worried that we won't see that efficient, um, you know, really pared back version of, uh, but really customizable version of um, Android that I think so many so many people that are fans of OnePlus love. Um, you know, it 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 could be just fine, and I think it probably yeah. will be. But there's just that yeah. part of me that you know I read this and and um, I don't know what I don't know what. Pete Lau's um, decision making was there. It just seems like they're mm-hmm. they are trying to be as efficient as, as possible, and it almost seems like they were trying to make uh, you know one plus the Oppo for the North American market. I mean, they they yeah. share so much as it is, and while Oppo makes great phones, I just I really want what makes one plus great to remain with them and what you know the whole reason that that people were buying their phones remain is because it was i mean you could uh, like the nord series just felt so light on its feet even though it was a mid-range phone mm. and and that i hope i hope that stuff remains like this is that's that's my only yeah. real thought with this i'm glad as an idea for them to um, be sticking with oxygen os i just i just hope it's everything that we've come to love from what oxygen os stands for 
I get that. And like Oxygen OS has never really blown me away. Like I've never been really all that impressed with it. But that being said, you know, your comments about the Nord, Nord just now are very pointed because I've only ever used Oxygen OS on a flagship level phone. I've only used it on the OnePlus 6T and the OnePlus 8, I think, and the OnePlus 9 Pro. So I've never used a Nord uh, a, a OnePlus Nord phone, so I can't say like how snappy it felt, how peppy it felt. Like if there's, you know, if the if the software is actually contributing to that feeling, then yes, it would be a shame to see that to see that go away. Um, but you know, that being said, Oxygen OS by itself, it's it's just okay. It's never been. Yeah, I don't, I don't douse my drawers to the thought of Oxygen OS like, like a lot of uh, OnePlus fans do. And fine, you know, I, I'm not going to yuck your yum if you dig it. Cool, I do. Um, yeah, and 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 obviously you dig it, so mm -hmm. because it was important enough for you to bring it up in the story. Um, so, yeah, one other, one other quick note about this in the same conversation, and I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast yet. I definitely wrote about it at Digital Trends, but um, in the same um, news conference where they announced that they're going to keep oxygen os and color os separate that was also when um pete Lau made the slip about talking with google about folding phones right. about working with google to optimize folding phones and everyone in the room was like um what <laughs> so um um you know OnePlus did not announce any type of folding phones, but they did let slip that they are working with Google about folding phones, which, I mean, you know, Oppo has the find end, so it's possible they were just working on that. Right. But it's also possible that OnePlus could have something sketched on a cocktail napkin about how they would like their software to work when and if they ever do release a foldable. So, um, well, I think it is, I think it is smart, you know, these edition. days, if you are going to release a foldable to wait until, uh, you know, Android 12 L has been released or even Android 13, which I'm sure will, you know, continue those optimizations unless they plan on, yeah. on making the separate version of Android that is specific to tablets like they had with Honeycomb so much back in the day. I doubt that's the case. If you want to hear more of my thoughts about, Ask uh, <laughs> right. Uh, if you want to hear more of my, uh, thoughts on, um, my thoughts on OnePlus um, and, and sort of my frustrations about that. You can actually listen to the upcoming Doubting Thomas podcast. We've actually recorded yeah, that before we, we recorded this, right? Um, yep. I think I do about as close to a rant as I've done since I've been <laughs> on uh, on Beyond or, or Benefit of the Doubt. So, yeah. Remember when we used to do rants on, uh, on, on Tech oh, yes. Beard? That was fun. That, was, that fun. was fun. And those were all scripted too. All right. Anyway, they, they we even had, are... They even had their own... Uh, music <laughs> they had their music that's right i remember that so anyway um we need to go ahead and wrap things up here because i am over time and i actually need to hop over to the twitch and get my uh script recorded over there as well so i can actually put together that this is going to be a work all weekend weekend for me um unfortunately and, it, and it's not really like a work all weekend it's like a work and play all weekend because you know like i said i got a lego thing to go to i'm, I'm actually meeting up with bender tomorrow nice and we're gonna go to that lego thing at the at my local library they've got like a lego train thing coming through which is uh Potentially kind of neat, and I think I'm actually going to that twice because my daughter wants to go to it today. Uh, so, um, so that'll be fun. But uh, but for now, um, in order to get this podcast 
on the rails and ready to publish by the time that it needs to publish tomorrow at 5 o'clock. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would write a review for the show. And you could do that at ratethispodcast.com slash benefit. Once again, that's ratethispodcast.com slash benefit. And by the way, this might be the last month that I use ratethispodcast.com slash benefit because you actually have to pay for it. And I don't think I'm getting my money's worth. But anyway, you can write to the show by visiting benefitofadow.com slash contact. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes and for coming on to talk about all things MWC. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving us the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>